Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Father, we just thank you this morning for this opportunity to be in your presence. Lord, I just pray today that you will use me to speak your word with power and authority from your Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Jesus. Come and speak into our hearts and encourage us this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 6, we're going to be looking at just shortly, but many of you know last week uh, I began a series called One that's for two parts. So it's a series called One for two parts over the last week and this week. And um, we looked at what it means last week to be part of the body of Christ. The church, as we know it here today, as we know, is a body and is described by Paul as a body of many different parts. Maybe today you're visiting and you're saying, well, it's probably not for me this. Well, it does apply because it applies to wherever you are rooted. And so you need to be rooted somewhere so that the body can work together. Maybe you're visiting and I pray that you'll be encouraged by this. Last week we looked at the importance of a healthy, healthy, sorry, active body. You see, you can have a body, but sometimes if a body is not really uh, healthy and active, it's not really good at all. So I really believe that a healthy, active body is something that can achieve what God desires for it. And I want to encourage you today that a healthy, active body is when people, the parts of the body, work together. Amen? How many of you agree that if you all do things on your own, it never seems to work the same? But if you come together, you can achieve so much more. And I really believe that the oneness, the, the idea that Paul preached on this, he spoke on this, that we need to be at one together. We need to come together and bring unity together. And the reason I want to speak on this is because I believe at the moment we're on a very pivotal point of this church where we're about to do some new things. We're going to go to double services soon. And we're going to, in October the 23rd, there's going to be a 2 p.m. service repeated from the morning. But when we move into this season, some people may think, well, that's just a, a new meeting. It is a new meeting, but actually, it's something that this church has been believing in for many years, that we would stretch and push the boundaries. And to do it, it requires the body at work, not just a couple of people trying to do it. So we need everyone to work together. Last week, we looked at these three things that make up a healthy body. One is ex- exercising humility. It's important that you, real unity comes from humility. Amen? When we humble ourselves before others, we don't try to be the most important part. You see, God will give you the best parts of the body and that those more significant parts that are used if we humble ourselves before Him. He's the one who exalts us. Number two, I said last week, was to embrace authority. Many people in the body of Christ don't want to accept authority. In fact, actually, there's a very re- sometimes a very rebellious spirit that goes on. But actually, accepting authority is the thing that releases you into destiny. And some people don't understand that. They spend their, their years hopping around different places, trying to find a place where they can be released. The reason why they're never released is because they never accept authority. And I want to encourage you today, being rooted, being giving yourself loyal servants 
to the body of Christ that God has rooted you in, you will see God take you and exalt you greater than you've ever known before. Embrace authority. Finally, I said that we need to establish maturity. There's no point being a body that's just young, like an infant. We need to mature in our faith. That's why things like the school of evangelism that we we kind of encourage you to go on. It's not just for a few evangelists. It's not just for a few people who think I've got the evangelistic gift. It's for those who are saying, I don't know if I can do it. So then we can teach you and encourage you in these areas to be the person that God has called you to be. That is maturity. When you go from the milk to the meat. In Hebrews it says that. We need to shift from the milk to the meat. And some of us, sometimes we don't grasp that. In John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, and the guys come back and they've just eaten. He said, my, my, the will is, sorry, I'm forgetting what it is. He says, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, my food. If you translate that in the King James Version, it says, my meat. In other words, to do things, sometimes we need to move from infancy to uh, adults. And that's maturity in the body of Christ. One of the things I said last week was maturity is the shift from competition to collaboration. When we stop competing with each other and we collaborate together to work together. But I believe this, one of the things I want to speak on today is this, that we can talk a lot about the body connected Staying together, unity with the bond of peace, as Paul says. And we talked last week on the body being connected. But I think one of the most important things we need to also remember is the body being protected. You see, as soon as anything is good and comes together, the enemy, Satan, wants to destroy it. Do you know that? It's his objective to steal, kill, and destroy His objective is to destroy marriages. His objective is to destroy our children. His objective is to destroy the church, the oneness of church. And I believe that we must also be protected. Hallelujah. Part two today is this, staying protected. The enemy attacks the corporate body as well as the personal body. Now, the thing is this, many of us concentrate so much on ourselves sometimes about how we're going to be protected. And Ephesians 6, we're going to look at in a minute, is about the armor of God. It's about the full armor of God. And many of us look at that as individuals, but I want to just bring something this morning that I believe that actually when Paul speaks about this, I think it applies to the church. You see, if the church is a body that's made up of arms and legs, as he describes it, or he tries to use that analogy, so do we also need the protection of the armor of God in this next season. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 to 9 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. He's looking constantly to devour. That's what he's doing. I love it when it says he's like a roaring lion, but he's not really one. He's just like one. He just has the sounds of one. Some of, them, some of us sometimes put Satan on a pedestal and we say he's bigger than what he is. But listen, he's like a roaring lion. He's like one. And he's looking to devour the body when it comes together and is connected. So the moment something's connected, 
the enemy tries to disconnect. And we need to watch out for these things. Ephesians 6, let's look at what Paul says for the armor of God. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, says Paul, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. How can the full armor of God, how can these scriptures apply to us today, help us as a church body? Now, listen to me. These things are important for you individually. Sometimes I've known people, they say, you know, they get up on the morning, they'll say certain prayers. They'll say, I'm going to go through and put all these, these, arm, these kind of ritual thing that I'm going to put the armor of God on now. We don't want to get into rituals that every morning, if you've just forgot to do that, then you feel unprotected. Some people I know do that. They get up and they'll do that. Now, that's great. But if you do that and forget, don't re- just, just remember that Jesus is still protecting us. Amen. You see, I believe that putting on the full armor of God is all about how we live our lives. But also it applies to the body when we're in this time at the moment. You see, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says this, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Now, I'm going to mention Satan a few times today, but sometimes people say, I don't like Satan to be mentioned. Listen, Satan's mentioned quite a lot in the Bible. And sometimes we've got to expose him for who he is. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Remember that. We can mention his name. That doesn't matter, but we know the name of Jesus that we've lifted this morning. There's nothing to fear. The first thing I want to say that I believe we need to do as a church is we need to stay focused. Because the enemy who masquerades as an angel of light, one of the very characteristics that he has is to distract believers. You see, sometimes we're all waiting for Satan or the enemy to show up in the kind of red cloak with the horns and the fork that we see in the fancy dress costume shops. But you see, Satan, when he comes, he masquerades as an angel of light. In fact, he's not an angel of light. He masquerades as one. And sometimes when the enemy comes into the body, you don't see the enemy sat there with some red fork and horns. I know some people may look like that to you sometimes. You're thinking, what's going on here? But listen to me. He's not like that. In fact, he's so subtle and shrewd. 
Why do we mention him today? Because we've got to expose him for who he is. You see, the body of Christ that the enemy wants to disrupt, he will come as an angel of light. He'll use good things to destroy other good things sometimes. Do you know that? Everyone looks out for the bad, saying the bad's going to destroy us. Satan will look to use good things to destroy good things. You see, John 8.44 says this. It describes this of Satan. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you know that he's got a native language? You know, you know your native language, but he's got a native language that's characterized by lying. He also says before this that he's a murderer from the beginning. In other words, a destroyer. One who tries to destruct and separate. He's a destructor and he's a liar. And this person, the Satan who will come and masquerade as an angel of light, has these characteristics. But masquerades as good. And we have to spot him and see and use the spirit of discernment of when he's up to something. Do you know that? That's one thing that, you know, we can all have the, the spirit of prophecy. We can all have these things, but sometimes we can have the spirit of discernment to see when something is just not right. And I want to encourage you today that we can have that. It's a gift from God to see so that we can be protected and we don't lose focus. Hallelujah. You see, let me tell you this. Satan not only just comes and shows himself, he doesn't show himself as this is me and with a red fork. Many people think the devil is like an opportunist. He takes an opportunity. You know, you've just sinned, so he's going to take an opportunity to take you down. Let me tell you, Satan is far cleverer than that. He's a strategist, not an opportunist. He's a strategist. He's had plenty of thousands of years to watch how we work. He's a strategist. But let me tell you, we have great strategies when we know the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and shows and tells us things of things to come. We've got a greater strategy. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We're not giving him a pedestal this morning. We're showing how small it is. Hallelujah. He's not an opportunist. He'll take opportunity. But he's a strategist. He's a schemer. He's looking for the subtleties to come in and change things around. And sometimes people don't spot it right till the very end. And then destruction comes. And I want to encourage you today. If we want to be a body that's strong, we need to stay focused. Because we're coming up to a season that's going to be busier. It's going to be harder. It's going to be tougher. And the enemy's going to think, right, how can I apply schemes early on now that will bring destruction later? But the reason I preach this message is because he's not going to have his way. Because we're going to stand firm together as a body. You will see that God will do greater things. Ephesians 6, 10 to 11 that we read earlier says this. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Not the devil's little opportunity goes at you. The schemes, the strategies he has. You've got to start thinking clever and wise. You know, when Solomon asked for wisdom, and he knew what he was doing, didn't he? Ask for wisdom so that you can begin to see discernment. And not get wrapped up in the wrong stuff. 
Because he says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. I think that's, sometimes we just read that and we forget it, but there are spiritual forces at work. Do you know that? I mean, when I've seen the power of God at work on the streets, and I've seen the power of the name of Jesus heal someone and do a miracle in front of my eyes, I start to see that we're operating in a different dimension. We're not operating in earthly dimensions. We're operating in spiritual dimensions. It makes me realize even more how much more the spirit of darkness across this land has come. That's why we've got to be the light to the world. We can't ignore this stuff and just say, well, we'll come and sing our songs on a Sunday and just enjoy church and forget that this is at work. The subtleties, the schemes that he comes with, we've got to be focused on God. One of the songs we sung this morning is that to keep our eyes fixed on him. Our eyes fixed on him. There'll be no other God. There's some things that the enemy is going to use to distract you to make other gods in your life. The subtle distractions are the most damaging. You see, Galatians 5, verse 7 to 9 says this. Paul says to the Galatians, you were running a good race. Then he says this. Who cut in on you? Who? Which person? If you look at earlier on in Galatians, he says, who has bewitched you? (laughs) It's a bit powerful, isn't it? Which person's bewitched you? Who now has cut in on you? Who's changed the way you're thinking? We're not talking about Satan sat in here trying to change the way we think. We're talking about people. Who, which person has come in and cut in on you? Who has bewitched your ideas and your thoughts? Who's cut in to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion, he says, does not come from the one who calls you. In other words, there was a foundation. There was something you knew from the very beginning. There's something that changed in your heart. When the Spirit of God came inside of you and truth began to apply itself in you, you knew what was truth. You see, do you know what I loved when I used to go to church when I was younger? When I gave my life to the Lord, I used to love it when God confirmed the truth that he'd already told me. But sometimes we begin to get bewitched. We get a little bit confused. You see, distraction from the enemy causes confusion. He says this, a little least works through the whole batch of dough. Do you know it only needs the tiniest thing? This is what his schemes are. The tiniest thing can take down the whole batch of dough. In other words, the body. One little bit of yeast, gone. I've seen, when I was younger, I've seen church splits. I've seen people gone and I've seen them come back. I've seen them ask for forgiveness when we got it wrong. I've seen all sorts of things as a young boy. Living up with leaders. Growing up with leaders. I've seen all sorts of stuff. The subtleties. And I've seen the subtleties of the the things that always damage the body. They have a work early on that you don't spot them. They're like yeast. You know, the enemy is up to things like this. The other day we went to Duxford to the War Museum. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. And we were wandering around this place and we got to a, a point where we were in front of some big uh, aeroplanes in the World War II uh, hangar. And the boys went up to a table and they were looking at different things that you could look at. And a gentleman was asking, asking us that if we wanted to look and he'd tell us more information. And one of the things that the boys picked up was this tiny little metal thing. And he says, do you know what that is? 
And he said, no. And he was, it's heavy, isn't it? Yeah, he says, well, that is a World War II incendiary bomb. He said that they used to drop them and they would cause fires. They would drop these things. They weren't like the big bombs on, on that the, 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 they would drop and then they would explode. These things, they would drop them. Then they would start fires. Then the fires would begin to rage through. And these actually, he said, even though they're small, he says they do more damage because when fire starts, it does the work itself. You see, the other day, I don't know if you've noticed this, they celebrated 150 years since 1666, the London fire that happened and burnt the whole of London. And I watched this crazy footage as someone recreated London's landscape in wood and they set the thing on fire and let everyone watch it on YouTube. I just want to know if the taxpayers paid for that. I was watching it thinking this is good to watch, but have we paid for this? And they showed how the fire rapidly went through. I don't know if you know much about that. But actually the truth is this, that the fire brigade today celebrate 150 years of London's fire brigade because they learnt so many things from that fire. That's why the fire brigade exists today, because of what they learnt from that. But that particular fire, it says this, started in a baker's little shop in London. It began, and it says within three days, 80% of London was ablaze. And they say this, that not only did it start in this little shop, in this place you'd never expect something of destruction to come. It starts in this little place and it says that at the time there was a drought so things were dry. Things were dry, it was a barren place so things were dry and they burned quicker. How many of you know that sometimes in our lives the enemy loves to drop incendiary bombs? Not just big things that we can see. But little things that all of a sudden they become fires that start. Then they begin to rage. The other thing it said about that fire is that the wind was strong. And it began to push to building to building till 80% is on fire. See fire brings destruction. And sometimes what the enemy wants to do is drop a couple of incendiary bombs that we don't spot. And then when we're in a drought and we're not ready spiritually in our lives... And we're dry in our lives because we don't spend time with the Lord. We don't understand God's perspective on things. Then it's when the fire begins to rage because we're so dry we'll burn quickly. We need to look out for these little things. We need to look out for these things that are small but deadly. Because a little thing just like that yeast can take the whole batch of dough. I put this, that destructive doctrine, things that come in and things that can bewitch us and take us off course and cut in on us. Destructive doctrine is often close to truth, but in reality, it's far from it. Destructive doctrine is very close to truth. It's got so much truth wrapped around it, but in reality, it's far from it. Do you know why it's far from it? Because it can be wrapped in truth, but delivered in a bad way. It can be given in a way that's deconstructive rather than constructive. You see, I've had times, should I say this, many few years back, I had someone here in the church and I was here one day and someone came to me and they said this, they said, God is doing some great things among you. And I said, I know. And he said, the miracles are great. And he said, but I need to say something to you. 
He said, if you, you've not got the fullness of everything yet. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you don't fully understand everything yet. He says, there's one thing I need to ask you. He says, and he tried to ask me if I believed in the Trinity. Now, this person had been evangelizing with me. I'd had, I'd had them evangelizing with me the gospel. Now they're asking me if I believe in the Trinity. I said, of course I believe in the Trinity. Then they said this to me. They said, if you believe in the Trinity, Jesus is not God. I thought, this is crazy. How did I not spot this one? So I said, I'm sorry, but I totally disagree. I said, and I'm sorry that this is the way this church believes. And this is what we believe as a church. This is the foundations of what we believe. And you'll find majority of the churches in this city believe that too. And I said to him, I said, I'm sorry, but I ain't changing at all. You're never going to change me. And if you're out to change me, then there's the door. Because I will not change. And he said to me, if you don't change, you'll not see the fullness of everything. So then I said to him, I said, I'm sorry. After about 30 minutes of trying to argue in a sense, but I didn't want to do this. I said, listen, you're going to have to leave. Then he said, no. How many want to be the pastor now? And I stood there and he said, no. And I, and, and I thought, what do I do? I had a few guys here with me as well, thankfully. And so that this person who really wanted to put their point across to change my way of thinking was doing it in a way that was wrong. It was completely out of love. I said to them, I said, you must leave. I said, and the person didn't insist that they wouldn't leave until I changed my mind. So I said, there was only one alternative. It wasn't to pray that he would leave because it didn't seem to be working. I said, well, if you don't leave in 10 seconds, I'm calling the police. You know, the police are good at some things, aren't they? You know, when they come and help you. I said, I'll call the police. Now, how many of you know when you say something, sometimes you wish you'd never said it because I thought if I count to 10, I've got to do it. Because if I don't do it, we're going to be stood here again in 20 seconds. I'm, I will call the police. I counted down from 10 in front of him. 10, 9, 8. And I said it like this. And he continued to stare and look at me. 7. I got to 1 and I thought, this is it. I've got to do it. And I literally called 999. I answered the phone. The moment I answered it, that's when he said to me, he said, okay, I'll go. I thought, you could have told me that three. <laughs> you know, I didn't, really, I didn't really want to say to the emergency services, what's the problem? Well, it's someone here is trying to contest me whether <laughs> to believe in the Trinity. And so, thankfully, he went and he left and he stepped out of the building. Then I had a, the same challenge to get him from the forecourt to the road. It's quite challenging. But listen to me. That person actually phoned me up months later and asked for forgiveness. You see, I never acted wrongly towards them, but I had to do something. And actually, things need to be rooted out. I won't allow it. They need to be took out immediately. Because if it's not, come on. You're talking my business. Come on. Amen. You know, some of us sometimes can think that this is not worth getting hung up over. And we just leave it. But I tell you, if you leave yeast, it gets through the whole batch of dough. And do you know what? My, my, my role here is not just to put meetings on and to put structures in place. It's to pastor and shepherd the flock. And I said this last week. 
It is this. It's not just the shepherd of the flock by having meetings with people, talking about problems, which I do. But it's also this. It's to watch and discern and see when things are going wrong. When there's an incendiary bomb that's dropped and no one else spots it, I will get rid of it. Do you understand? Destructive doctrine is often close to truth. But in reality, it's far from it. You see, if we operate out of love, that's not a characteristic of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you can gauge it. The Holy Spirit brings truth, it says. But he's also, the Holy Spirit is someone that characterizes love. In Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, it describes seven things. It says six things and seven things that God hates. In verse 19, the seventh thing, it says a person who stirs up conflict in the community. A person that stirs up conflict in the community. In other words, it's a very bad thing that God doesn't like. Therefore, if he doesn't like it, we need to make sure we deal with these things. You see, what happens is rebellious attitudes and critical spirits are the things that destroy Critical spirits. People always saying, you know, there's a lot, isn't there lots of people who've always got something to say and moan about? And I said this last week. We can't moan about things. We can't moan about the assemblies of God, what we want to change. You have to influence it. Amen. You see, many, many people with a critical spirit always moan about the glass being half full. Half empty. Half empty. I'm glad you're here. Half empty, but we've got to look and say, do you know what? It's half full. We've got to change things. We've got to do things. We've got to bring more of God. Do you understand this? But critical spirits sometimes, they'll say, no, it's just not right. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Then it says this, verse 14, do everything in love. That's where some people fail. They don't do things in love. John 16, 13, describing the Holy Spirit says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. He is truth. But not only that, the Holy Spirit's characteristics are love, joy, and peace. The way you can watch and look at the way people who try to bewitch you and change your way of thinking, look at if their characteristic characterizes love. If it doesn't, then something is slightly offline. It might be close to truth, but in reality it's far from it because of attitudes. We need to stand strong together to hold on to the promises. You see, when distraction comes and all these things come, it causes confusion. An author and Christian speaker, David Cottrell, says this, if your focus is always changing, expect confusion to be rampant. If your focus is always changing, yeah, you're unstable in your mind. Confusion's rampant. We're never settled. We're never focused. Stay true to what you heard at the beginning. You see, Jesus spotted confusion once and he addressed it. He did that very thing. In fact, he didn't wait just a few weeks and dealt with it. Jesus spotted some confusion with some of his followers and he dealt with it immediately. If you read in Matthew 16, 23, he says this, that Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
I don't know if you've read this before and seen. I mean, would you really like to be spoken to by Jesus? And he turns around to you when you bring your best comment, you bring your best suggestion, you bring your best advice in the situation. He, told, he turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You check, have I really got the uniform on from the fancy dress shop? Why has he called me Satan? If you look just before that in verses 18 and 19 of 26, you'll see this, that Jesus himself has just told Peter he's the rock who he's going to build his church on. Then in verse 19, it says, I'm going to give you the keys. In other words, he says, I can see destiny in you. I can see great things in you. I can see that you are the thing that's going to be the church is going to be built on. I believe in you, Peter. In fact, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom as well. But later on, in just a few verses later, he says, get behind me, Satan. Do you know what's interesting about this is that people with good intentions, people who have good intentions, good thoughts and good ideas actually are being used sometimes by the enemy to shake up things. Do you know that? You see, Peter didn't say anything wrong. He said, Jesus, we we need to protect you. We can't let you go to the cross. You see, Jesus had just explained that he was going to die and be raised. Peter couldn't understand that. So he said, I want to change this. I don't want it to be like that. He shouldn't be like that. So he tries to bring his influence, which is good, and he loves Jesus. But Jesus says, listen, I'm just going to get right to the root cause here. I know you love me, and I know we've just spoke about building the church, but listen, get behind me, Satan. I wonder what he thought after a bit after that. You see, the thing is, even though he rejects him, the good thing is that he lifts him up later. It looks like he's rejected him. Satan uses good intentions for intended disruptions. Thankfully, corrects him later and he lifts him up. Finally on this, in 2 Timothy 1, 13, Paul encourages Timothy to keep sound teaching. He says, what you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. In other words, don't let the pattern get distorted. Keep the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to guard what we have learned, what we stand for in this church. Amen. The next thing we need to do is stand strong. You see, I've been talking about the focus of the mind, but we need to stand strong. And wearing the actual armor that protects us is what is essential. You see this, it says this, Ephesians 6.13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Listen, it says this, when the day of evil comes... People don't like to talk about this, but actually, day, days of evil come. They're not, not if they come, when they come. They will come. There'll be days that we find that the enemy is attacking big time. You see, when you see on the news that churches have been burnt down, the first thing that people think is, why would Jesus allow that? Days of evil are coming. But we must stand firm on the truth, even through persecution. Standing firm. Because it's not our flesh that we need to worry about, but it's our spirits. Our soul. You see this, I've put wherever there's kingdom progression, prepare for the devil's subtle distraction. Wherever there's kingdom progression, prepare for the devil's subtle distraction. Because when there's something good happening, that's when he starts coming in. Some of the best meetings I've seen here, I get some real attacks after. It's the enemy at work. 
discernment, see it. Don't get worried when you see that you've had a good time and then God, then something happens and it feels bad because the enemy is trying to come and attack. You see, Job, he was a good man. He followed God. He loved God. But the enemy wanted to have a go at him. Have you considered my servant Job? The enemy will always want to have a tack at that which is good, that which is progressing. Despite how God builds this church, expect evil days come. But if we're ready, we're focused, and we have the armor, we're ready to deal with anything. Not weak and burnt by the rages of fire that can come from little bombs on our lives. Ephesians 6, 13 to 17 describes the armor that we need to wear. And I'm going to read it from the message version. because I want you to just grab this in what it says in the message. It says, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. In other words, actually, it gives us a requirement for the body. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get Every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, but the, sh- uh, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. Whew. We need God. But we need each other as well. Strengthened together so we can fight the enemy. Paul says this, put on your full armor. He didn't say put on the partial armor. He didn't say just put on what fits or what you like. He says put on the full armor. Now Ephesians 6.13 uses a very interesting word, a Greek word. It says panoply. That is the word for full armor. It describes the completeness of the armor. That's what it describes. The completeness of what you're wearing. And some of us sometimes, you know, we decide what parts of the armor that we like. So we're vulnerable. You see, what happens is we say, oh, I like that bit of the armor, but I'm not sure about that. And so then what happens is we're vulnerable. You see, if if a soldier only wore the helmet, he's going to get stabbed here. But we need to make sure that we wear the complete, full armor that Paul describes. In Romans 13, 12, it describes another word used for armor, which is describing the armor of light. It's the different thing. It's not the completeness of describing brightness, how bright we look. Completeness in this scripture that we're looking at in Ephesians is talking about the completeness of the full armor. We need to make sure that we don't pick and choose what parts. And then we become vulnerable when the enemy attacks. We need the full armor. Let's just look at some of these things. The first thing is this, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I really believe that in this church, moving forward and always, and we have done for many years, we will stand on the solid gospel of what we preach of the truth. You see, listen to me. You say, what do you mean about this? I don't understand with the the belt of truth. The belt of truth is this, that as a church we'll stand firm with the truth of the gospel. We will not be changed by society as to what we're going to preach. 
We'll stand firm because the enemy knows this. If I can subtly change so that you become someone who's politically correct and adapts to society, therefore your armor has been, uh, it's been nullified. It's been weakened. You're vulnerable. But if you stand on the belt of truth saying we're going to preach solid gospel. And listen to me, if anyone believes we don't preach a solid gospel here, you are completely wrong. Because we do. And do you know what? I've seen the fruit of it over many, many years. I've seen what God has done as we stood for truth. We've preached what places sometimes wouldn't preach. But I'm going to tell you, we need to stand with a belt of truth. The solid gospel of Jesus Christ, not man's ideas. Number two, he says this, the breastplate of righteousness. How many of us sometimes we come here this morning, we think, I don't feel very righteous. I don't feel very good. In fact, I feel so weak. I'm glad of his grace. I'm glad that we will preach a message of grace. But listen to me, this church will stand firm with the armor that not only preaches grace, but preaches holiness. It preaches grace and holiness. You see, some people love the grace side, but we have to be holy because he is holy. And listen, if you're feeling today that you're not very good and you're sinful in your life and you need to go through some kind of ritual to change that, listen to me, sanctification sanctification comes from the Spirit. Sanctification comes from the Spirit. Listen, we need to get our gospel right, not our rituals. Get the gospel right, not the rituals sanctification comes from the spirit I'm glad that when I, got, when I got saved and I gave my life to Jesus even though I kept on doing things wrong and I didn't wish I was doing these things that I'm sanctified by the spirit of God you see the truth is this you die to self daily if you're not dying to self there's something wrong die to self daily today we come in here we feel rubbish well so do I come on But we die to self daily. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness that comes from the grace that he gives us. But also we know that we need to be holy before him. Number three, the shoes of peace. The shoes of peace. Readiness of the gospel of peace that we wear. I'm glad this week that we're going out to other nations to preach the gospel. I'm glad that we're going out. But listen to me. When we go out with the gospel, it needs to be people of peace. Not judgment. The gospel rings peace. Not judgment. And we're going to be a church that stands with the armor that says, yes, we believe in grace. Yes, we believe in holiness. But do you know what? God is peace. God is love. And he loves the whosoever. Sometimes the people, sometimes I meet who, who do speak with judgment. I'm glad they weren't around when they were trying to save me. Or trying to bring me into the kingdom. I am so glad. Because you know what attracted me is the love. The love of God. My father who loves me. For God's soul of the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's the God, it's the Father's love that attracts the sinner. Remember, you need to be loving. It's a characteristic of the Holy Spirit. It's something we will stand for with our armor in this church. The peace, 
not judgment. Number four, the shield of faith. We live by faith, not just living by the idea of faith, but we act in faith. You see, faith without works is dead. Let me tell you this church, and you know it stands for a church that believes that if we act in faith, we'll see the results. We want the book of Acts here, but we want also many other books as well. I love the book of Acts. Yeah, there's plenty of other books as well. Another 65. But listen, we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready for the enemy coming to attack us. Because we might have this shield of faith, but sometimes faith without works is dead. We need to be acting in faith so our shield is strong. Not just living by the idea that faith is nice. See, when Jesus returns, he says, will I find faith? Will I find it? Or will you be talking about it? Act in faith. Number five, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of of salvation. I'm glad today that I wear that helmet that protects my most protective part, my mind that tells me that sometimes am I still am I still a child of God? Am I still there? Have I I'm messed up? Maybe I need to go through some kind of ritual to change myself, go through some, do some things to change. Maybe I need to, to do, I'll take my helmet off first and I'll do something to change. Listen, the helmet stays on. You've been given a seal of approval and the helmet stays on to remind you. We put the helmet on to remind us that our confidence is in him. Listen to me. When you know your salvation is in him, you know your identity. When you know your identity, there's no fear. And some of us, sometimes are starting to question, are we saved? Are we fully saved? But listen to me, the the thing is this morning, are you wearing the helmet of salvation? This church stands for that, that we are securing our salvation when we call upon the name of the Lord. We're secure in our salvation when we call upon the name of the Lord. We give our lives over to Jesus. We accept that we need to be forgiven of our sins and he washes us clean. And fills us with his precious Holy Spirit. The helmet of salvation. We need to be confident in our identity, not fearful. And finally, number six, the sword of the Spirit. We're people of the Word and the Spirit. We do things together. We see that the Word and the Spirit together is powerful. That's what this church will be. And also this, that out of all the things I've just said, that final one is the thing that is on the offensive. We need to be ready to fight. And not fight people. Not fighting people, but fighting the darkness. The principalities and powers to destroy the works of the devil. That's why it says Jesus came. He says, he says the devil came to bring destruction, to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Every time we go out and we pray for someone, we meet someone, we bring them to, know, to the knowledge of an encounter with God. We're destroying the work of the enemy. We're on the offensive I want to encourage you, we need to stand strong. Stand strong because the enemy is not bigger than God. Finally, and this is important, after he says all of those things, Paul, and he puts on the arm, he says one thing more. And number three is this today, is to seek God. You're thinking, what, what's this got to do with protection? He says this, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. In other words, all seasons, even when things are going good, even when things are going bad. 
Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Someone once said this, that a family that prays together stays together. I didn't say that. Someone else said it. It's good. A family that prays together stays together. And when we met on Tuesday and we met and we prayed together, I thought, wonderful, is this because the family comes together and we pray together. We will stay together and we'll be stronger as we do that. One of the most powerful weapons is prayer and some of us have forgot this. In your own personal lives, prayer is important, it's powerful, it changes the dynamic, it shifts things. But also for this church in our season moving forward, listen, we're not just talking about good ideas and plans. We're talking about we need to stand together as a church spiritually in prayer. Because we're about to move into something greater, more influence in the city. And as we do, we need to pray. Pray. It's the engine room of the church. But Paul says this, not only pray, but be alert. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus says to disciples when he's in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is, we heard about it recently as he, he asked for that cup to be taken from him. That same time, he asked his disciples to watch and pray. Be alert. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And some of us today, do you know what? We need to remind ourselves how powerful prayer is. How powerful it is. You see, it is weak. Sometimes we said, I've tried prayer and it doesn't work. I remember years ago, Emma, you, Emma, Emma went to a, a meeting here. My wife, she went to a prayer meeting. She says they're doing a bit of soaking in the presence of God and they're praying. She came back and goes, how did you get on? She says, about three people fell asleep. I said, oh, well, that's fine. But you know, we're sometimes we're all tired and shattered. But there's nothing wrong with that. But do you know, sometimes we give up thinking, well, I can't pray because I fell asleep. I believe that when we just come into his presence, and we rest. Do you know, it's so important to listen as well. Can I encourage you that? Don't just babble on. Talk to him and listen. Listen. He's got so much to say. He's got so much to say. You've got to understand the power of prayer. You see, the final quote I've got to say today is someone said this, Satan tries to limit your praying because he knows your praying will limit him. His objective is to destroy, remember, to separate. So if he can try and stop us praying, it changes things. He wants to stop us. But James 5.16 says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Remember that. That as believers, we have a prayer, and as we bring our prayers to God, it's powerful and effective. Listen to me, if we love the church body, just get this, I'm coming to a close, but if we love the church body, we've got to learn to pray together. We've got to learn to actually, you see, when we come on Sundays and we worship God in, the, in this place, do you, know that, do, do you know that when you worship God, it's the time that you give to God? It's the time when you're saying, it's not about how nice the, the band sounds. It's when we say, we want a t- it's time to lift you up, to give to you, God. But do you know when we pray, we need to come together and pray also. And sometimes we, we separate these things. We say, actually, I want to come just for the, the worship. I want to come just for this. We need to come and see that they're all important attributes to the church that will strengthen us. And then finally, Paul says this in verse 19 of Ephesians 6. Pray also for me. Pray also for me. 
that whenever I speak, he speaks in confidence and not fearful. And listen to me, pray for the leaders. Pray for us, please. I'm asking you, not because I just, it's a nice thing to say, but we need your prayers. We need this, if all of this body said, I'm going to carve some time out to pray, pray for us. Because listen, one of the things that the enemy will do is he'll try to send his incendiary bombs on the head of the, of the authority of the church. Yes, it scatters the flock. Listen to me. Please pray as we move into this season. Because when we move into this season, when we know we walk together with prayer, we stand together firm on what we believe, then God will do great and mighty things. There's several things I want you to take from this today, and hopefully you got something from it. But I want, I want to just encourage you. There's an action in this, and it's not to come forward for prayer. There's an action, and it's actually to think about who you are, to stand firm again. But actually, in terms of prayer, a practical application is that we can pray together. Now, I want you to pray this week and carve time in your diary to pray for us in Malta. Probably pray and think, I've not normally done this before. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for the guys. I'm going to, I'm going to pray this week because we're a body. So that when they come back and we hear the great testimonies, we know that we played a part in this. Okay? Not that we did something separate, that the body worked together in two different locations. So please pray for that. But there's one other thing I want to say to you. I wanted to put forward today that for the month of October, from the 1st to the 31st, the whole month of October, we're going to declare a month of prayer and fasting. Now, I'm not saying that you've got to fast for a month. Some people are thinking here, this is crazy, I can't do that. Listen, I'm not asking you. You can do whatever you like. But what I want you to do is leave here today and say, I've heard the message, and I'm going to put some time in my diary in October in advance now. I always do this. Put things in advance so that they're in there. Put it in your diary and say, I'm going to give myself three days fasting, four days, five days, one day. You do whatever you like. I'm going to pray on these specific days. I'm going to pray. And I actually want you to pray for someone you've never prayed for before in this church. For strength. For endurance. For the Holy Spirit to help them. For them to understand who they are in Christ. So that as we move into October and November, as we go into double service and we stretch ourselves, we stand together in prayer. We've had a month of prayer and fasting as we release ourselves. I'm telling you now, the enemy does not want us to do this. Do you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not, I wouldn't normally tell you this, but today I've, I felt this week quite tired and, 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 not, and quite ill a little bit. Just a bit low. And today when I got up to stand and, and, and to preach, I actually felt dizzy. And I just felt weak. Now I don't. But listen, I really believe the enemy's had a good attack at me. Because he don't want me to preach a message that tries to encourage the body to stand together and pray. And I'm not just saying that to make it something it's not. I'm just telling you, that's, that's the way the enemy works sometimes. And you've just got to stand firm. I'm glad this is it. I'm glad this is it. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.